What's up, you creepy fucks? Welcome to the Let's Talk Horror channel with me, BP. Thank you for returning. If you have, if you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, you may not know what's in store, what's ahead of you, um, but you know what? Fuck it. Just get involved. And uh, I hope what you are listening to, you enjoy and come back for more. If you are a returning uh, listener, fucking, you know what the shit show is gonna gonna ha happen. And guess what? It's getting lovey dovey again. What do I mean by that? Because this is this episode is all about my bloody Valentine. This is gonna be the sort of Valentine's episode for February. And last month we did the psychosexual one. We were getting proper sexual with <laughs> Hellraiser. And now we're getting lovey-dovey again. So in March, I've got to try and, you know, beef it up a little bit. Maybe not be so, you know, uh, romantic. So as I say, we're talking about My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Not the remake, definitely the original. And on this episode, thankfully, I have a guest. Did you know how much I love having guests on the show? And I know you do too. I've got Ben who is on Instagram, uh, and I'm sure everything else, but as the horror critic. Hello, Ben, you all right? I'm all good. How are you, my mate? Oh, I'm living the dream, <laughs> as, as we do. Uh, you know, anybody that's I've been on Instagram and that uh, have seen me a million times. So if in this episode I pass out at any point, Ben, you're going to have to carry this one because my concussion, you might start hearing ambulances and shit like that come on the recording. That means my brain's exploded <laughs> uh, and I've got a bit of a cold. So it, this is this is the lengths that I go to to bring you the best shows that I can that I feel like I could possibly be dying, not just inside, but on the outside as well. Uh, and I'm bringing, <laughs> bringing everybody, uh, I'm absolutely banging episodes still. Uh, and as I said, I've got Ben with me along the ride. Thank you for being with me. No problem. Looking forward to it. Good, good. Well, as I said, we're going to, well, well, at the end of it, as usual, I'm going to let you plug the absolute shit out of everything that you do. Uh, I can't wait to listen to it because, you know, what you do bring out and especially obviously what I see on the Instagram is fantastic. So I'm happy to have you on the show. But as I said, we're talking about my bloody Valentine. You know, it's it's considered a classic, a cult classic in the horror genre, which is obviously what we're talking about. It's Let's Talk Horror. So, Quid so Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher, apparently, as well. Yeah, yeah, of, of all time. I, I would say he knows what he's talking about, but that all depends if you like Quentin Tarantino. Can I say that I do like him, yes or no? I'm not going to say that because I'm not really in the mood for all the onslaught of people that would come at me on Instagram <laughs> about it and stuff and in the comments. So I will I will neither say where, that I do like his movies or not for now. So, You're not, um, part of the, <laughs> not part of the Tarantino religion then, no? <laughs> We we say I will I cannot confirm or deny. That's what I will say at the moment because I tell you something, my head will explode from all the comments that I will get from that. I know exactly what you mean, but <laughs> we'll keep quiet on that one. But absolutely. So my bloody Valentine is a film released in 1981, and it is directed by. Now, you all know if you've listened to the show so far um, that I can't pronounce 
anyone's name. I am a little common Englishman who can't even say normal names properly. So this is this is how it's going to go. You know the show's already so far. So it's directed by George Mihalka, which is definitely not right. <laughs> but who gives a fuck? And it's starring an absolute shitload of people. So I'm going to get through this as quick as possible. You ready? Let's go. Paul Kelman as Tom Tom Jesse TJ Hanniger, Laurie Hallier as Sarah Sarah Mercer. I'm getting confused already. Neil Affleck as Axel Palmer, Cynthia Dale as Patty, Don Franks as Chief Jake Newby, Keith Knight as Hollis. I'm getting confused. Alf Humphreys as Howard Landers, Terry Waterland as Harriet, Thomas Kovacs as Mike Stavinsky, Hel- Helena. Udi as Sylvia, Rob Stein, Stein, whatever, as John, Patricia Hamilton, as M- Mabel Osborne, Jesus Christ, Gina Dick <laughs> as Gretchen, Lara Reynolds as Maya Hanninger, and Peter Cowper as Harry Warden slash the minor. That is probably <laughs> everybody in the film. So not a single welcome. one of them would you recognise if you walked past them in the street, let's be honest. But No, let's let's face it. No, <laughs> no. The only one I'd recognise is the miner because he dressed up as a miner. Because uh, I assume he walks around everywhere like that. I mean Yeah, yeah. We know, <laughs> you know, claim to fame, you've got to dress up as your character, haven't you? This film it sits at six point two on IMDB and fifty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And we'll get into a little bit uh, later on as to whether we think that that stands about right or whether it's you know, well fucking wrong. And now we have the bit that everybody loves is the Google synopsis because it, they're so shit. For my bloody Valentine, they've got when a Valentine's Day event results into the death of minors. The lone survivor, Harry Warden, returns to seek revenge 20 years later when a celebration is resumed. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> that's, that, that's not even that bad, is it? You know, it could be worse. sound like... Makes it sound like an episode of Murder, She Wrote That. It does, yeah. Maybe it was like the way I was saying it. I don't know. (laughs) In my my best sort of, you know, late night TV or or midday TV, more like if it's diagnosis murder. It didn't do too bad. I've I've read worse. Oh, yeah. Some of them will just take you down the dark path of disappointment. (laughs) You you read that and then you're watching. and You're like, all right, who who wrote that then? Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) I mean, I was I was expecting it to give away the twist, so so it, luckily it didn't do us dirty on that one. No. So now is my time where I go through my synopsis of the film. It's essentially my events of everything that happened in the film, scene by scene, but in my own way when I'm watching it. So the film starts as it means to go on. Into the mines we go with a couple of miners, miners, but then blammo. We're straight into it, as one of them is a woman who is well up for a game of sex and it's going to get dirty. Like, like obviously, literally dirty there in a mine. But before anything sexy happens, she's impaled and screams her bloody face off. Cut to titles, My Bloody Valentine. What a bloody opening, eh? I mean, that sex scene at the beginning is... Yeah, it's a bit weird. At one point, I don't know if you remember this, but she's stroking and massaging his breathing tube like it's a cop, yeah. trying yeah, to be it's... sexy. <laughs> and it's the least seductive thing ever. It's not seductive. Like, and also, it's the bit where he like almost like he's like, nah, no, no. Trembling, no. yeah. Stop I mean, it. picture, she's stroking his breathing tube. Picture this, like, you sat on the sofa with the missus, you're getting down to business, but then all of a sudden she just starts jerking off the TV remote. It's like, no, 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 what are you doing? You can't just grab objects and pretend it's a cock. No, that's no, a mood exactly. kill for me. There's nothing sexy about that. I'm starting to think that's why it killed her, to be honest with you, because 
Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I thought we would just come down here for this. I didn't know I mean, we were getting like kinky with, you know, to different the point, stuff. The editor actually was so like thought the BDSM stuff that was in there was so stupid. He actually wrote the directed by George, we're gonna go with Hulker credit yeah. on that one scene. <laughs> on purpose so he waited till that scene he's like that's where i'm sticking your name as punishment so that yeah, yeah that's what the other did because he was like yeah you're taking credit for it. if you put that in there that's you yeah if you're putting this <laughs> you know weird sexy stuff in it i don't mind sexy but if you're putting no, weird yeah, yeah. sexy stuff in it you're taking the credit boy and that's that's I'm, how it is i mean she just realized she gives that a squeeze he can't breathe <laughs> it's like... yeah he's definitely dead yeah end of movie yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so now we are off to work with all the real miners who are not having a game of sex. Well, they could be if they want to, but not on the clock as they're trying to make some big time moolah working in the mines. And after a game of old slapsies in the team building shower, where, where you understand quite quickly there is a little bit of hostility afloat, they are now heading off in a rush like juice of hazards. <laughs> to, to what I presume <laughs> is a town hall or something. That bit always makes me laugh because it's yeah, it's just it feels so out of place that bit because like, as I said, it's full dukes of hadders. They're like almost like Whoo! you know, we've yeah. got to get in the cars and get to it, and all they're doing is getting to the bloody like town hill. Yeah, it's, it looks like well, I mean, only UK people will probably understand this, but it looks like one of them places that kids would have their birthday party. <laughs> or you go and have a disco yeah. unless it's just yeah, where i lived yeah. yeah 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 you're absolutely correct like you know like six-year-old birthday parties the village all that's little, what we call it village my village yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely so i don't i don't know where this you know this bloody town is but it's an it absolutely loves valentine's day like it's christmas and everyone is getting ready like we've just said in this hall they're putting all these sort of valentine's decorations <laughs> up like like you've never seen before yeah i've never seen a place this into our valentine's day i mean the whole place is just littered with hearts and decorations hallmark must love these guys I mean, <laughs> and, it, and it's really weird for a place that's got the history that this town has on that day oh yeah, i mean absolutely they know what happened, and they love this day more than any other day. Um, Tomfoolery is afoot with the apparent clown of the town. He's pretending to have his brains fall out of his head. But he, oh, this guy fucking he's annoying. Um, I don't know what it Throughout, is about yeah. him, but he's just like all like the comic relief. But normally you would have like you know a couple people or something like that. But it's just this one guy. He's the with, goof. He's with, the goof yeah, that you have in the with, horror with movie. Yeah. Weasel face, unlikable, and you not know he's going to die. At all. Yeah, he absolutely. Has to die. That's his sole purpose is just to be there and die. But, you yeah. know, sometimes you get people that are funny and then get to that point where they die. He's not funny at all. So no. he could have been first as far as I'm concerned, and I would have been happy. Terrified anyway, of poor old oh, yes, lady sorry. as well. She is close to 100 years old, probably. Yeah, and the poor guy picks her yeah. to scare to death. I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely, Pick your yeah. victim. That's just cruel. <laughs> But, Imagine but if someone he... just jump scared your nan. You'd be like, "Whoa, calm down, yeah, mate." Yeah, all right. You know, That's funny not or funny. not, you're a, funny or not, you're a bit of a prick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but he has to give a heart-shaped box to some bloke with a lovely poem attached. It sounds nice enough, right? Wrong, because there's a fucking heart in there, like an like an actual heart, not a chocolate one, a real heart, <laughs> which is already you know straight into the film. You're like, "Well, that's a bit fucked up." And they never thought to like come back to that guy and go, hey, hang on a minute, you're the guy that handed me the parcel. Where'd you get it from? They never reference <laughs> yeah. it again. They're just like, oh, thanks, the random guy giving yeah, me the parcel. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, um, UPS, <laughs> they just dropped this off. 
Um, <laughs> it, it, I don't know what it is. It could be anything. <laughs> All I know is it is a heart-shaped box and it's Valentine's. So you, I think you're safe opening this. It's definitely chocolate. <laughs> but, you know, as we all know, it's definitely fucking not. But now night has fallen. Where at the bar, uh, where the barkeep is trying to scare the shit out of the punters, so he clearly doesn't care about his business. But but his job is to tell <laughs> the story of what happened twenty years ago. Which yeah, once again, this is another scene that makes me laugh because, I mean, like he's literally he's the worst landlord ever. He's like he's got this pub <laughs> or whatever, or this little community hall, whatever they're doing, where they're all these people are going, they're drinking. And he's just like, oh, I told this story. Fucking everyone's dead. And they're cutting Depressing them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, oh, do you want another one? Oh, no, I'm all right, mate. We're, we're going to go down down the road, you know, where they don't talk about murder and shit. All right, have a good night. Don't make um, me feel like shit for having a party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Basically, the mines blew up 20 years ago and one bloke was found alive eating someone else's arm. It was Harry Warden. And he was taken to a mental hospital, but got out and ki- and then killed two wardens uh, in revenge that left their posts, thus causing the explosion. And guess what? He stole their hearts and put it in a box. That which sounds familiar by now. But his story is interrupted by a fart noise and all is good. And then they sing this weird old song about somebody's virginity. Fun fact is all the music, all the country music and all the music in this film is original. And if you actually listen to the lyrics, they're relevant to each scene that they're in. They, they this are. One's, this one's pretty hard to listen to because it's a bit muffled, but each one's relevant to the scene, which is pretty fun. Like they, Because the director was adamant. He was like, I don't want random music. And it's like, yeah, aren't, people in the bar, music. aren't people in the bar <laughs> going to be a little weirded out that people are singing about him? But he's like, don't care. Go for it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just fucking do it. <laughs> Who gives a shit? A running dialogue <laughs> in the background while someone's playing guitar, and he's like, all right, that's a bit weird. <laughs> so we are now back with the cops, where they are trying to find out what the shit is going on. Oh, and the heart, by the way, is definitely real, and Harry Warden is most definitely back in town. His next victim is an old lady, the one that we mentioned earlier, who already had the shit scared out of her by the, by the weasel boy. Uh, and this is now at the laundrette, who she obviously doesn't stand a chance against a massive pickaxe. And annoyingly, we see hardly anything of it, which I mean, is a common running theme within this film, which I will get to later on as well, because yeah. throughout this, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things to talk about with this film when we get to the end. But this is probably the first of many scenes where you don't quite get your thirst for for blood that us horror. Unfortunately, fans yeah. It kind of skips a beat when you're trying to watch it, and then you just, oh, wait, they're, oh, they're dead, yeah. But that's kind of a theme throughout, really, which is it's unfortunate, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, absolutely. So now the lads are, are at the junkyard, and they're having a lover, lovely harmonica duet, and they are finally having it out, and all over the girl whom one has lost, and the other is now with, and temperatures are rising. That scene was actually, it was supposed to be somewhere else. Like, I don't know where. But they actually rewrote that scene just to be in a junkyard because apparently that's where the miners in real life in that area, that's where they all hang out after work, after a hard day's graft. And you see in the movie, they're actually eating, well, they call them TV meals, but I see in the UK, we call them micro meals. They heat them up on the engines. Apparently, that's what they used to do back then. Oh, so, really? You might not notice it if you didn't know that, but they're eating these little meals in metal trays. They would heat them up on the engines. So to add that, that sort of authenticity to the yeah to the film. because I mean apparently that's what they do around there in these little small town mining 
places in Canada. I don't know. We don't have them over here, but... So basically yeah, what a... you're saying is that the one minor that went and watched this film <laughs> yeah. in America was just like, that's some fucking attention to detail. It's like, oh, yeah, they get it. Yeah, they're eating their meals on a car they engine because apparently they it. can't go home and put it in the oven. Fuck it. That's what a car's made for, isn't it? For cooking <laughs> your meals. So the Fuzz are now trying to track down Harry Warden's whereabouts. And he isn't at the mental institution. So where the bloody hell has he buggered off to? I mean, by this point, we think we know. So the chief heads to the laundrette to warn the old lady from earlier. But using his amazing detective skills and seeing that all the paper hearts are now upside down, which is always really fucking funny to me. Yeah. There was a scene in the little hall earlier, and it was supposed to be a misdirective. There was two mischievous guys in the background. And you won't notice this, but apparently the director wanted you to notice, but no one did. Is they're actually turning <laughs> the hearts upside down? Uh, and the idea okay. was meant that was to make you think it was them two, and I was just thinking I didn't know. Everybody, that. <laughs> fucking, I mean, I had no fucking clue about that. No, so it's supposed to be a misdirect. They, they're they're in there turning the hearts upside down in the background. It's meant to make you think it's them. It's like yeah, no one. We all missed that, mate. Sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine like the fucking director on set? Like you know, they're like. Do you know what we can do? And they're like, what? And it's just like, <laughs> see those two there, get them to turn the fucking hearts upside down. <laughs> and, then, and then he just like turns around and then you can imagine him looking at like the producer and just like fucking winking at him like, oh, there's another one for you. As if people at home are going to be watching, they're going to pause it like, <laughs> look, look, do you see that? It just turned the heart around, it's him. <laughs> and now since 1981, <laughs> not a single fucking person <laughs> knows about it until now this, now this podcast comes out. And if, if people listen to it, if you do, thank you. But if, if people listen to it, they're going to go back and go, oh, fucking hell, I, uh, this misdirection is <laughs> yeah. blowing my mind. And the director's like, fucking finally. Listen to that commentary. It's a bit of a theme where he thinks his ideas are genius. And uh, he's made a fantastic <laughs> move, by the way. But he thinks that he's got this amazing like option, that scene on the back, on like, the screen. That everyone gets and like no we didn't take that from that or, the, or he thinks something's really original it's like i did it because of this or because of that and then it's just like no we didn't take that <laughs> no sorry mate you can imagine yeah. him being like you know when you sit there and you're watching a film like especially like a comedy or something like that or like horror when there's a really bad scene and the person you're watching it with you like look over them and seeing if they're laughing or like shitting themselves i bet you he was like that when they were like at the <laughs> premiere for it and he was just like every time you've got these people turning their hearts upside down and then when you have this scene with the sheriff where they're all upside down he's like sort of like getting up from his seat looking around going oh fucking got ya they need to bring out like a recut where it pauses and it does a circle around the guys yeah, putting the heart yeah, on yeah, like, like it's cctv like... footage just to let you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like we've got him it's there look yeah, we got it Misdirected. spoiler alert it's not those two guys i don't want to ruin it for everyone but no, it's not them guys everybody's still sitting there going what fucking guys what <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway the, the the chief investigates further further than these hearts being upside down that nobody noticed and after a sniff of someone's clothes which is also fucking creepy yeah it's i don't weird. understand why he does that he's just like oh that's not been washed um, he's scared. <laughs> he's scared absolutely shitless as the old lady's dead body bursts out the washing machine, and she's definitely dead. Which is, yeah, you know, one of the one of one of the actual scenes in this film where you see something a bit fucked up. It look. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I, they they did a great job on that one. Yeah, they. Apparently, there was a big underlying love story between those two. I was like, I didn't really get that either. <laughs> 
there's a little bit actually i've got on here when we get to it we'll talk to it a little bit more but there's a hint yeah, yeah I, I, we'll get to that in a minute somewhere here i've got it um <laughs> so for now <laughs> the sheriff is trying to keep it under wraps and doesn't want anyone knowing that harry is back for some weird reason looks at the dead body again oh yeah he does that thing then he where he's like he's talking about it and be like look keep it on the fucking down low but as he's doing it he's still looking at the body and you're like <laughs> is he getting like sexy about this the, the usual like... <laughs> don't don't tell everyone because they'll panic it's like all right yeah that's the best way to deal with it that yeah, always yeah. works out in well doesn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah this body we'll keep it a yeah. secret this killer that's going around because we don't want people to panic yeah. it's like i think they should know about that one yeah yeah and also put the body in my office <laughs> 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 just chuck it in the corner over there we'll be all right it'll be all right i just want to stare at it for a little bit longer no one will um, notice she's missing at all <laughs> but then somebody finds a find something within the body a note saying for the valentine's dance to be cancelled and no one is obviously happy because they fucking love halloween not halloween valentine's, <laughs> valentine's i don't even know what day it is that's because i'm expecting it to be halloween not fucking valentine's <laughs> So TJ is literally kidnapping his ex, but she's okay with it. She seems conflicted by it all, but the heart wants or the heart wants, unless that's being ripped out by a murderous minor. It happens. It, it can happen, especially <laughs> in this town. After the chinwag they have, the ex Sarah, I believe her name's Sarah, I don't fucking know, is now on a stroll at night on her own. But luckily the chief is out on patrol and she's safe for now. The barkeep is still, still, <laughs> he's got his knickers in a twist about all everything that's going on. And he's, you know, basically, he's got, he's going <laughs> fucking mental still. But he knows, uh, you know, whatever, we know what's going to happen in the end, don't we? But despite him, they decide to have a party anyway. Basically, he's there and he's just like, don't fucking do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they, obviously, they have a party. They, you know, they want to have fun. I like how he could have somehow stopped all this. Like, how would he know this would happen? Yeah. <laughs> they just listen yeah. to him. It's like, in my head, I think if we have a party, someone's just going to go around killing people. All right, mate, course. He's the barkeep. He knows bloody everything, did he? But he's now pissed as a far after that scene, and he's trying to scare the kids. Uh, but his plan is foiled as he gets a pickaxe <laughs> uppercut, and he's, obviously, you guessed it by now, he's definitely dead um <laughs> but that scene once again is almost like a bit of like a comedy scene isn't it where it's like oh i'm gonna scare him oh and then i mean by the first one he does it after he does it feels like a hundred <laughs> times oh, no. um, it's like so childish <laughs> yeah, he does it like five times yeah and then you're like i know from the first one what's gonna happen you might as well have just <laughs> done it straight away but yeah he gets a, an uppercut with a pickaxe um and yeah he's he's the um, next one on the list of dead people in this town why does he think some random person on the street is going to walk down this back alley or wherever it was and open this random door anyway? Yeah. Because for people well, that are listening, he opens the door and then a mannequin jumps out and scares you with a pickaxe. Basically, you set up a, a mannequin that pops out when you open the door. Yeah. And his idea was that he wants to scare people. But this is, it's like in a really quiet spot in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what does he think it's going to happen? And then, no, of course, after about 10 tries of him laughing at himself at his own joke the real harry warden supposedly pops out with his axe and bang gives him an uppercut with and an axe. pops his eye out and then he's another one he's dead did he deserve it maybe um so so, <laughs> so the the party planning is now in full swing and while they're having the time of their lives on valentine's and the chief has received another heart-shaped box and you never guess what's in there nope not a heart 
but some nice little chocolates. But heartbreakingly, this is the bit I was saying, they are from Mabel, the old lady who got a good washing earlier. So, yeah, that's what you were sort of mentioning earlier, where they had this underlining sort of love um, story between those two. But obviously in the film, there's no, you know, it yeah. doesn't go into fruition whatsoever. Wh you don't really get it whatsoever. Um, when she died, be honest, did he look bothered? No, no. I mean, he was not really busy <laughs> looking at her dead body. But like, you know, you thought that is, you know, you think that's in a weird way. But there may be. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There was no like, there was no like, oh, that's that's a shame. Like, you know, this person that I'm having a bit of a floozy with, you know, might be the the, the, the love of your Mrs. life, chief. Yeah, and the love of she's her, died, and he's life. just thinking, oh no, think of all that paperwork now. Yeah, he's he's like, I need to get this washing done. But I did actually find that scene quite sad because, um, you know, straight away, you you know that, you know, she's dead and she, you know, he was her Valentine. And uh, yes. which is, you know, hence the point of the movie. But wasn't to be. She's dead. He, he's, you know, he's probably cut up about it in a way for about five minutes. It doesn't show it at all. It doesn't show it at all. <laughs> it looks a bit um, pissed off. Like... Yeah, if anything. Yeah, he's just like, shit, I left my wash in there earlier. Um <laughs> <laughs> so the guys and the girls at the party are bloody loving it well one of them isn't because he gets his head shoved in a pot of wieners and gets his face boiled off which um, for some people that's probably a lovely way to die yeah some people face full of hot dogs wieners. but yeah but um don't look fun for him though let's be honest no absolutely and unfortunately again it's already a scene that we don't really see because it cuts away and we see nothing but we are back at the station where some dogs are trying to get a free meal and after the chief scares the shit out of them and they run off it's revealed to be another box but this time it's not chocolates it's definitely a heart and a real one so somebody else is bloody dead which we obviously i think we know whose heart that is don't we it's the uh the, the old guy that was just too scared of a bloody closet and uh, <laughs> then got in a bloody uppercut. So so back at the party, things ha uh, have really heated up between the two lads and Sarah's affection, and she's getting right pissed off by them. But they have finally come to blows, but they are split up by some bloke who looks like a real-life version of the mouse from Chippendale who loves cheese. <laughs> if anybody was like a 90s kid, you know exactly who I know I mean. what you mean. <laughs> he was twiddling his moustache going, cheese, all the time. It's one of them jokes that I would think of in my head, but I know if I said out loud, I would assume no one knows what you're on the monopoly. Yeah, about. exactly. Well, do you know what? When you're it's on the show, British thing. Fuck it. If you've got any references to 90s cartoon, and in fact, there's actually another one in here a, late, a little bit later on. So um, if, if you don't know who it is, Google it and then do a side-by-side -side comparison. You'll know exactly what I mean. But anyway, Axel runs off with a beer in hand after, you know, his little little fisty cuff. And Sarah wants to be left alone. Basically, it's like neighbours, but with hearts being ripped out and not in a romantically <laughs> charged way. But, you know, they're literally being ripped out. There, there is now a couple who are trying to get frisky. And we can guess what's going to happen here. The female gets grabbed by the miner. And the guy she's with has no idea at this point because he's headed off to go and get some more beer. And he's returned back to see her dead. And he looks pretty upset about it. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see it. This is no, actually the director's favourite scene in the whole movie. This one scene. And it got cut and lost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't uh... want me to talk... I mean, Originally, let's let's do it at the end. Let's go. We'll do it at the end, yeah, because I we'll think this is the theme throughout. To be fair, so yeah, we'll oh, wait till absolutely. the end. Absolutely, absolutely, because we're, we're going to have so much to say on it at the end. 
So back at the party, for some stupid reason, they are all uh, they all willingly want to head to the mines, as you do. Obviously, they're absolute bloody idiots for doing it. And a couple <laughs> of them decide that they want to get a little bit naughty. I mean, you know, it's Valentine's, right? And in the, unfortunately, it's a horror film. We, you know, we know we all know the rules by now. So essentially, we already know what's going to happen to them. But suddenly, we are back at the party where Hot Dog Face has presumably been found. You know, that's the guy who got shoved face in wieners. We, we can't remember his real name, so he's now known as name. Hot Dog Wiener Face. Fa- Hot Dog Face or Wiener Face. And they now know Sylvia has been permanently hung up to dry and mass hysteria starts to set in as they now know Harry Warden is back in town to break some hearts. Well, not not break them, but rip them out and put them in little boxes. To be fair, it keeps them in pretty good pretty good condition pretty good, so. pretty, i mean you know yeah. Yeah, for, for somebody who's a minor <laughs> with you know understandably probably no surgical experience yeah uh, i mean i assume in between cutting them out of the body and then putting them in a box he probably cuts them in a little ice box and looks after them yeah by the condition he's, they're in like, he's a careful guy he's very I mean, thoughtful he, you know what he's been doing it for like 20 years you know he's probably <laughs> pretty good at it you know, he's probably a professional in that sort of field. In the heart transplants, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where he's been for so long, you know, working his <laughs> magic. So TJ is trying to take charge and teams up with Axel, and they head into the mines to save all their pals from impending doom. So so back with the gang, and there is some more tomfoolery happening, but they don't know what we know. The miner is back and smashing the shit out of all the lights. He's just like going down this fucking <laughs> mine, swinging his axe like fucking lights. But once again, we cut away this time to the chief where they are explaining to him that he needs to head to the mines. So he speeds right off to save the day. The group down the mine are still wandering about, but TJ explains that Harry is back and he's going to fuck their shit up. The moustache guy that I mentioned earlier from Chippendale finds the bodies of the couple from earlier uh, who are dead by penetration and not the good kind. And yeah, I know, we didn't get to see that either. Not the sex, but no. the demise, which sucks. But Montre Jack, that's the name of the, the mouse in Chippendale, is next and gets nails in his head. He manages to walk away, but then dies after one last scare. I mean, even, even the, uh, you know, it doesn't even have to be the villain to get one last scare in horror. We all know that. The miner is now full steam ahead after going after the last remaining survivors, where one of them gets a slap to wake the fuck up, and (laughs) Axel is now back to help out. TJ gets taken out with a big chunk of wood, but he's okay. But some absolute bastard has smashed the button thing for the elevator that they're trying to get out in, so they are stuck down there, so they have to take the ladder in a really elongated scene about them climbing a ladder (laughs) where where the lady who freaked out earlier is still freaking out, but they have to head back down as Harry seems to be chucking bodies down there at them. Well, I mean, (laughs) I I could be wrong, but that's what I assume is happening. Even though someone that may or may not be the killer is climbing the ladder at the time. I don't really know how the body ends up coming off the top there. Could you imagine if they chose not to go up that ladder and he's just casually waiting up there going, like, come on, they're going to come up. I'm going to trick him. And they just yeah, never exactly. do. He's I've just up there on the ladder. And then they watch him awkwardly climb down in his minor suit. Like, what are you doing up that ladder, mate? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just like, oh, nothing, nothing. Oh, I'm doing nothing. Well, what's that body? Oh, well, 
I don't know. Were you going to track that? Ass? <laughs> no. Uh, just I found it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I just found it up here. I just found it. Um, <laughs> so, they, so they are working their way through the mines as they can't go up this bloody ladder. But it looks as though Axel has been deemed the next to be off as he is drowned in a little muddy puddle. But as he really, it seemed a little bit too easy for me. You know, yeah. by that point, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're running out of choices here. Everyone's we're dying. Out of choices. That's it. Uh, and now, just around the corner, TJ has gone, leaving only the two ladies to find their way out. But out of nowhere, the lady in red is no longer freaking out. And that's because she gets a pickaxe through her stomach. And Sally fucks right off. But TJ has <laughs> found her, and she's now, uh, she's now safe. Or, you know, probably. <laughs> the sheriff and the cavalry are here trying to make it into the mines. But unfortunately for Sarah and TJ, so is Harry Warden. They are trying to escape on the train thing. But Harry is hot on their tracks. Literally, it's a bit of a pun. Where, where they have a <laughs> tall fight. But Harry is swinging his pickaxe around and fucking the place up like he's super shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. If you've seen that film... You know exactly what I mean. In Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number two, Secret of the Ooze, another yeah. film from the 90s. 90s uh, there's a bit kids where Shre- Exactly. It's a bit where Shredder goes super Shredder. And he does nothing apart from stand there and starts rocking this weird little thing that's on the sea, whatever it is, and basically kills himself. And it makes no <laughs> sense. And it's never made. Even when I was a kid, I was sitting there and I remember going, Why'd you do that for? What the fuck did you do that for, idiot? Um, So anyway, that's what that scene reminded me of. Um, (laughs) So he's, but anyway, he's won the fight. But as he goes to stab TJ, Sarah grabs his mask off and his true face is revealed. And you guessed it. It's not Harry Warden at all. It's fucking Axel. This this guy, the love interest of the whole film. It was him all along. And obviously this is where we get the sort of explanation, as you do, uh, as to why he's so fucking mental. Basically, he was the son of one of the people uh, who was killed by the real Harry Warden and saw it all happen. And he's now the reason why he's all fun, you know, all kinds of fucked up, as you would be. You know, you see your parents, you know, getting killed. And then the mine starts collapsing on him, mostly because of his own fault, because he's a fucking idiot and thinks he's super shredder. <laughs> <laughs> but, and TJ and Sarah finally escape. So the chief is now explaining further. But we already know what the shit happened. And as they go searching for Axel's body, they find him under the rubble. But somehow he runs away laughing like a little leprechaun and shouting about the revenge he will have, which we now know he doesn't, as there were no sequels, which is what they were quite clearly hoping for. That giggle at the end as well, it's just completely out of the, out of the blue, yeah, out of character for the whole it. movie. Yeah. It just, it's quite a very serious tone movie. Then all of a sudden, you have this really sadistic Joker-like laugh. It's like, where did that yeah, come from? Yeah, he's running around going, I've got your gold, you bastards! <laughs> When, when Jumping in the air, from? tapping their feet together. Yeah, it's just exactly. completely out of the blue. It is. But then, and then the that film... theme tune kicks in. Exactly. On the classic song, The Ballad of Heart, Heart Harry Warden by Paul Zara. Um, <laughs> basically, another song um, that is essentially telling what happened in the bloody film. Yep. <laughs> um, Which apparently that... Quentin Tarantino would play on the set of Inglorious Bastards just to set the mood. Apparently, oh, he made really? every, everyone listen to that song on repeat. Which is really random because I don't oh, get what that's got to do with it. You're yeah. not the bloody pretentious bastard. Um, <laughs> so, um, but that is the that's the end of the movie. Basically, uh, you watch a whole film, 
where no one really in it is is that mental until the end where he's absolutely fucking ballistic and as, as i said you they probably expected many uh sequels to come from this and following the uh the continuous journey and the adventures of this heart ripping monster but <laughs> didn't fucking happen i do have i mean my first question i could think of is do you believe that he was cognizant of what he was doing axel now i mean now we know that axel's the killer the way that it was portrayed do you think he was cognizant that he was the killer because if you see his blank stare when they unmask him it's almost yeah. as if like he's unfazed and he does not know who he is because he doesn't really tell you don't when i watch that i don't watch it as if to say like he's the killer he's evil you, it's, it's almost as if he doesn't know what he's doing but it's never explained yeah well it's interesting isn't it i mean i think it's one of those things that we will probably never i think no. you know you it's, it's down to your own interpretation because Absolutely, yeah I doubt even the director really knew <laughs> because because the interpretation that of whatever that is, you know, maybe he didn't even know what to do. Yeah, but you're right. There is that scene where they take the mask off and there is, it's, you know, Michael Myers-esque, no emotion, you know, almost cross-eyed. Um, yeah, like it, like <laughs> it know. switched and it was a different person. Yeah, exactly. Um, so whether that's a thing where that is who he is, Obviously, everything else is Axel, you know, this person that we know is Axel without, the, you know, throughout the movie, who's, you know, the love interest and so on. Yeah. You know, whether that's the front and this uh, fake Harry Warden is, is who he actually is. That's yeah, sort of my, my take on it, so to speak. Um, yeah. I, mean, it's not, I mean, we'll never know, like I say, but he's, does he know he's going around killing people or does he just flick a switch, blackout and become Harry in his own head? Yeah. We'll, we'll never know, but it's just an interesting thought. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I mean, you know, it's, I didn't even think about it to be honest. I just remember going, "Is he cross-eyed?" Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it. Why is he looking <laughs> just, at it like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's he looking at, if anything? Why are they um, just stood staring back? Like, run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just fucking leg it. Stay away from Super Shredder. Um, so, so now we move on to uh, the production info side of the movie. So, director George Mihalka, which is we think. 100% his name, was approached <laughs> by Cinepix Productions, headed by Andre Link and John Dunning, with a two-movie contract. He did make a movie before uh, he made this movie, and the film, this film was originally titled The Secret. However, it the was, producers yeah. decided to change it to My Bloody Valentine. Which is bad. Yeah, and this was uh, so to clearly reference and cash in on the holiday serial killer trend uh, with which slasher genre was becoming increasingly uh, popular through films such as Black Christmas uh, in 1974, Halloween in 1978, and Friday the 13th in 1980. Um, Mother's Day, 1980. Yeah, April absolutely. Fool's Day was 84, so that's after. But Prom Night, 1980. New Year's Evil, 1980. So the holiday yeah, slasher yeah. was... Basically, the post-Halloween holiday slasher movies come out. I know Black Christmas was before Halloween, but it was Halloween that blew it up. Yeah, and that was absolutely. it. Everyone was oh, there's a holiday that hasn't been used. We'll we'll pick that one. We bloody do it exactly. <laughs> like yeah, like a Armor Day where you got Pug to Tony Phil going around murdering every everybody with his big teeth. <laughs> that's that's the one I want to see. Um, so the so, but the slasher subgenre. Um, had seen further commercial success with the releases of also Prom Night and Terror Train, both with screen queen Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. She was bloody everywhere. And, yep. and, you know, rightly so, when you're that fucking good. 
both Canadians as well. Canada was producing some pretty good, well, for the most part, pretty good slashes back then. Absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't rate Prom Night very good, but other than that, there's quite a few coming out of Canada at that time. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you cannot rate Prom Night that well, but then you then watch the reboot and then you're like, okay, Prom Night's a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they began shooting My Bloody Valentine in September 1980, taking place around the Princess Colliery Mine, probably how it's pronounced, in Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, which had, to, had, which had closed in 1975. Mm-hmm. Two mines were considered for the setting, the other in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. And the production company decided on the Sydney Mines location due to the exterior being a dreary, cold and dusty area with no other buildings (laughs) around it. So it looked like it was totally in the middle of nowhere. But director. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was actually going to say what I'm going to say. Yeah, I'll let you you go on. (laughs) See if it's the same thing. (laughs) We'll see. And if it's not, say it. But director Mihalka has said since making the movie that most uh, difficult element of My Bloody Valentine was filming in the mines. Located 2,700 feet, which is 820 uh, miles or meters, whatever, underground, filming. Uh, in the mine was a lengthy process as due to limited space in the elevators it would take an hour to transport the cast and crew to the location also due to the methane levels underground (laughs) lighting had to be carefully planned as the number of bulbs that could be safely utilized was limited basically they were making a film it was really shit conditions and uh, it's not something that I would want to do they also couldn't leave any of their stuff behind so Every single day, they had to take all their equipment back because they didn't know they could film the next day. Because, of course, with the build-up of methane gas, you don't find out until there and then. So they had to bring their equipment back because otherwise they couldn't you know, progress with the film. There was no more moving forward. And also, that dirty-looking mine that they wanted, that old, rusty-looking mine, which is the reason they picked this mine... When they turned up, it was actually all clean and painted white because yeah. this Sydney Sydney Mines was so proud that somewhere was you know chose them to film. There's like, oh, we'll clean it up for him. But they painted the whole mine white, so they actually had to go back and paint the mine to look old and rusty. Yeah, they so they could actually use. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they did. So basically, the owners <laughs> they, they cleaned up the location significantly, and basically they're leaving it as what they said, clean and colourful, like Disneyland. Yes, um, like a Disney. But movie. this, <laughs> this obviously, as you say, resulted in the production team spending an estimated thirty thousand dollars to paint portions of the mine to achieve a darker atmosphere, um, akin <laughs> to uh, obviously how it appeared in its Disneyland state. Uh, producer Dunning referred to the shoot as horrendous so it, yeah ultimately <laughs> it doesn't sound like they had a very good time or a very lucky time you know making the movie and the reason they chose mines in the first place is because sets were too expensive i mean the director went on to say that it, he thinks if it was all done in sets like it would be today you won't, you won't get someone to go down a real mine today he no. thinks if it was all done in sets it would be a hundred million yeah, I mean, Which... we basically, I mean, if you see interviews with the cast now, the men and women all speak like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's it now. All of them, uh, you know, sound like they've been chain smoking 50 a day. Um, <laughs> they've had a hard fact, life, yeah. <laughs> they've had a hard life when, in fact, they just filmed a little film down in the mines and uh, it <laughs> fucked them up for the rest of their life. 
Yeah, I mean, but, but it was cheap, so we'll go with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, filming completed in November of 1980, and the budget was approximately $2.3 million. The crew kept the identity of the killer a secret to the cast members until the end of production, with the yep. final scene being shot in order so the cast had no idea, which is sort of, you know, like a cool old school... Uh, you know, like before these uh, Scream and all these sort of um, whodunit TV shows and movies there are out now. Yeah. It was cool I mean, to have that sort of idea, um, you know, back then in 81 that, you know, look, we want this to be secret. We want to keep it fun for everyone. We want he didn't to keep know, so guessing. Last two days of shootings when they found out it was the killer. For those last, that last scenes in the mine, that's when they found out two days before it finished shooting. So he turned up and was like, oh, I'm the killer. After all that that they'd filmed. So, which is great <laughs> yeah, exactly. because it keeps it natural. But, so, but. but also at the same time, that's possibly one of the things that goes into what you said earlier about uh, Axel as the character, where it's like, do you think, you know, he potentially like knows what he's doing or so on? The fact of the matter is he didn't know what he was doing <laughs> because he didn't fucking know he was killing anyone. Yeah. So, so maybe it's just a case of like, you know, he played it just as natural as he could. And then at the end, they're like, by the way, you're the killer. And then he's like, oh, shit. And then went and did that full cross-eyed look and, you know. Put my mean face not, on, yeah. Yeah, put my mean face and, you know, pretend that you're dead in the eyes and all that sort of stuff. Um, so potentially... That's how easy the explanation for that is, <laughs> because you know there's nothing more to it. There's no character building or anything. It's just pretty, pretty much. By the way, uh, you're you're going to be the one that kills everyone. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> now I have to be a bit meaner and run around like a leprechaun. <laughs> that that's, that explains that last scene. That yeah, was him exactly. being mean. That was him being that scary. <laughs> he was just like, I don't really know how to do it. And they're like, oh, have you ever seen Leprechaun? And, he, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I think I have. And then that's it, run around like a madman. <laughs> so My Bloody Valentine was distributed by Paramount Pictures in the United States on February the 11th, 1981, and in Canada two days later. The movie grossed just over $5 million at the United States box office. Though the U.S., Grossed exceeded the film's 2.3 million budget, it was considered a box office disappointment by Paramount Pictures. Basically, it brought in about 3 million profit. That's pretty much all it did. Um, and it amounted uh, to less than one third of Paramount's Friday the 13th, which was released one year before. So there's so many of these sort of um, slasher films and everything that had come um before it and around the time that this film only made on top of its budget about three million so considered not really a great deal of money no i mean i think they just caught on the train too late to be honest with you i mean the whole yeah. point of these films was that they was cheap to make so there was easy to make the money back but i think their expectations was a little bit high i mean a lot of the reasons which we can get into soon that they cut a lot of the footage was because they was trying to push it to hollywood so yes. I, I think I think they was expecting uh, something a lot more than what it was, which at the end of the day is just a fun slasher movie. We get it, but you can't expect the people in Hollywood to get it. Yeah, exactly. And not only did the film uh, not have the success the studio, like you were saying, thought it would, um, the reviews for the film were mostly all negative as well. With most stating that it was much of the same of um, same in the era of the eighties horror slashers. But like we've already mentioned big-time Hollywood director Quentin Tarantino has gone on to say that My Bloody Valentine 
is his favourite slasher of all time. And the film, as we know, has gone on to be uh, become more favourable over time as a fan favourite of the genre and has definitely lived on, like, uh, like so many, under the cult classic status. The film does portray a different setting than most other horrors of that time that does add a unique and extra element of claustrophobia to the film. But judgments... Uh, at the time were uh, were clouded due to the sheer amount of slashes released at the time where so many were skipped over rather than seeing the understated quality of the film the film was one of many as we know rebooted in the 2000s like fucking everything was in a film following basically the same story starring supernatural's big time hunk man jensen ackles which is what he's commonly known as in our house um, because my <laughs> partner is in love with Jensen Ackles. And for any of the Supernatural fans out there listening to the podcast, um, his co-star in Supernatural, Jared Padalecki, was also in a horror reboot of 2000s, which was Friday the 13th. One thing, obviously, I'll put to you all, um, did you like the reboot for My Bloody Valentine? And do you prefer it to the OG or do you prefer... The, the reboot let us know on the instagram page and the twitter page or tiktok whatever just let me know messages wise what do you prefer do you do you like the og or do you prefer the one with hunkman jensen ackles i mean i know which one my partner prefers is it the same <laughs> opinion as you though oh let's get into it let's get into it so actually before we do we've got the my bloody valentine's facts i know much you all bloody love these and uh, ben obviously if you have different facts um that, that i've got as well please add them on okay um but number one we've got we've got the uh, set the day before friday the 13th yep. so eagle-eyed fans of my bloody valentine will be able to spot a direct link between the film and friday the 13th which was released as i said earlier one year before at the start of the film a title card shows that the film is set on thursday february the 12th Later, several ads for the annual Valentine's Day dance show the event will take place on Saturday, February the 14th. Ipso facto, the ill-fated day of Friday the 13th falls right in between the two main dates depicted in the film. Both films were released by Paramount. So, you know, I'd say that's probably on purpose, isn't it? Yeah, what are the chances? I mean, I'd have to go looking back on the calendar to see if that was what it just happened to fall on, but if not, then... Yeah, there's no coincidence there. Uh, number two, deleted footage to avoid the X rating. And I'm sure this is something yeah. that we're probably getting to quite a bit later anyway. Yeah. Um, but Mihalka, definitely the name of the director, <laughs> was forced to trim nine minutes of gory and graphic footage from the film in order to avoid an X rating. After making the cuts to meet the studio demands, the film was still sent back with an X rating certificate. More ex, uh, ex decisions uh, were made uh, until the film was given a releasable R rating. Muhalka blames the drastic cuts on Paramount's backlash over the Friday the 13th, the year before, and the recent violent death of John Lennon. Yeah, that's the big one. Number three, a sequel was proposed, which is quite obviously is the way that it ended, but ultimately declined. Uh, a treatment and or script was apparently done for it. However, going by information that's out about it, it would have taken place in an amusement park that was built where the original mine killings occurred. 
the cut gore footage from the, the original was to be inserted into the sequel as flashback sequences. So that would have been really interesting. But, you know, we, we never got one. If we could make it work. I mean, for my understanding, a lot of that footage was lost, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Number four. According to makeup effects, artist Thomas R. Berman, one of his gory crea goriest creations was realistic enough that the director, George Michalka, threw up at the sight of it. <laughs> Which I would have loved to have fucking seen. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing this movie does well is the special effects are fantastic. I mean, yeah. you can't you fault them, that at all. They're good. Yeah. Uh, number yeah. five one of the makeup designers once shipped a dummy corpse to the to the set in a coffin which caused <laughs> much alarm when it arrived at the canadian customs <laughs> <laughs> which which would have been fucking mental and number six if you look closely when the cast drives by the valentine's bluffs sign toward the beginning of the movie tj's green camaro uh, appears to be towed behind the pickup truck he is supposed to be racing uh, and th and that's the facts that's what facts are have you got any extra ones i mean you touched on some of them there to be honest year i mean i was going to go into some of the specifics of the actual kills and what was cut and whatnot i mean the problem they had was you had two options really if you wanted to just make the movie how you wanted it you could add everything you wanted into it but you're not going to get pushed in hollywood yeah. all you can do is you're told by the studio and you, but you lose half your film and then we go to Hollywood, which is what this movie died from. And yeah. I mean, with restorations that you get nowadays, this one was done by Shout Factory. It looks fantastic. And we get a few scenes back, but some of them are lost forever. And the reason is because back then it was physical film negatives. When the studio goes to, they don't say just took, cut the whole scene out. They say cut 10 frames. All yeah. right, you cut 10 frames, cut another 10 off, cut another five off. And you can't stitch them back together. So what they was essentially doing was just killing the movie which is why you have random scenes of dead bodies with not shown the kill because yeah. they chopped up the footage to the point where it couldn't be restored, which is a shame really. But yeah. my understanding is that the MPAA, which I think is called the MPA now, which is the yeah. motion picture association of America. They wanted violence toned down on all movies basically because of what happened with the John Lennon assassination, which yeah. was December, 1980, which is unfortunate for this movie just before it came out. So they said, look, this is going on. John Lennon, as everyone knows, is huge. We in the UK know him, obviously, because he's from here. But in the US, you know, he's a global icon. And yeah. He's just been brutally murdered. We can't have this on TV. It kind of killed off a lot of horror movies, other than the ones that didn't care about trying to make it in Hollywood. That's the yeah. issue that this movie had, is it had big plans, which, of course, obviously didn't go to plan, but... No, exactly. Well, let's so, so let's get into it. I mean, we've done, everybody's got obviously the Google synopsis, which as we know is about as detailed as you get. And then you've yeah. got my slightly more detailed synopsis uh, about all the events that happen in the film. You've got facts, you've got a bit of production info. So now let's do what I really like about doing on the show, where we both talk about how we really feel about my bloody Valentine. Yeah, let's go for it. So I'm going to let you go first, Ben. You know, what do you think about My Bloody Valentine? Obviously, the original. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Uh, do you hate it? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Let's get into it. It's one of the things that I'm always conflicted when I come to rating a movie because I never know, do I rate it based on how I feel or how I think it deserves to be rated? Because yeah. you're asking me how I feel. I actually really like it. So if you just 
when I like the reviews on my page, they're not necessarily based on just my opinion. They're based on how good the movie is as well. And yeah. you ask me, is this a good movie? Not really, no, not at all. But I really like it. So it's yeah. if you're asking me my personal opinion, it's probably as high as an eight. But yeah. if I was rating it for someone, I'd say it's the IMDb rating's probably not too bad. It's probably pretty fair yeah. because it does nothing that none of the other slashers did back then. It's not as unique as the director likes to think it is. I know he thinks it's different and whatever. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, he thinks because he chose working class people rather than teenagers that it's completely different. He calls it the deer hunter of horror movies. It's not at all. It's basically the same as every other slash around there. Something bad happens when they're younger. They come back and they turn weird. That happens in <laughs> all those families by then. But I still really like it. Yeah. But is it good? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> so... yeah. I like it, but yeah, I'm not. It's like if you come to someone that's a fan of slasher movies of that era and they haven't seen this one somehow, I will tell them, watch it, you'll love it. If I was speaking to someone that was coming into horror today, like my missus loves horror, but she comes from a later generation of liking horror, it's probably a tough sell to her because she's seen so much other stuff that's on paper, in quotes, better, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So. If you like Halloween and all these Friday the 13th, all these classic ones, you'll probably like this. If you come from the newer generation, it's, like I say, it's a tough sell because there's nothing in this film that you won't see anywhere else. You get great kills, you get great special effects, you get an interesting killer, but you've seen all that already. It doesn't do anything new. And that's probably where, you know, my opinion is with this one. I am pretty much exactly on the same page as you. I, I think that IMDb Rotten Tomatoes score wise, I think it is pretty much exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, I think every time I watch this film, I am disappointed purely because I always, and this is just, you know, the filmmaker of me, but I always, always think to myself as imagine how good this film would be if Spielberg made it or. Yeah carpenter you know because obviously you know spielberg with jaws and john carpenter with halloween and some of his earlier films you know a lot of those were about small community towns and uh you know these yeah. sort of characters in it um you know very picturesque it has the uh, setting it nails the setting yeah, exactly and and this is the thing with the film is that it has this amazing small town setting which is you know great for these sort of films it has something that is unique is in and like you've already said where they're like 20 somethings 30 somethings they're not teens that are out on a party in a field somewhere or anything you know they're in this small working class mining town where they're all you know either going to leave and create something for their life or they'll be stuck there for the rest of it you know in these mines and and there's something really unique about that and then when you start start thinking about the minds themselves, there's something very horrifying and claustrophobic about that. That's a scary thought of being stuck in those minds with this person going around killing everyone and taking their hearts out. It's a very, I mean, it's scary, you know, that, that that's, you know, where it builds up that tension or could build up that tension. And then you've got the miner himself, who for me personally is one of the most intimidating looks aesthetically for yeah. one of these sort of iconic slashers you know yeah. i think you know michael myers for, for you know although he's just you know someone in a boiler suit and with a white mask with this expressionless you know there's something very intimidating still about him 
There's a lot of unknown there. Exactly. And that's what I feel like with the minor, you know, maybe less so in regards to, you know, what is he, who is he, you know, is he supernatural? Now we know that he's not, but it's the look, the aesthetic feel of him is very, for me, cinematic and intimidating. Yeah. So then you come to the film itself. And as we've mentioned many times, everything was cut and the scenes that you would imagine being one of the things that would propel itself even more for horror audience at the time and even now and make it be considered even more of a classic but probably more of an iconic horror rather than just you know a classic smasher or a cult classic if those scenes had been in the film then we would have got a lot more from it it's very the way i look at this film is that it it what could have been yeah that's exactly what it is what could have been my bloody valentine if it was either given well if they've if they would have gone the route that they should have done with this film by making it literally a film where you see everything yeah then it would have been renowned as a higher grade of of horror film than it is if that makes sense absolutely yeah i mean it's the it's the majority of the kills are either cut down or they're not shown yeah. at all which is a yeah. bit ridiculous but they bow down to the powers that be because they wanted to get their movie pushed out there which i get yeah. don't get me wrong yeah. but it's kind of at that point you've lost the art the death of yeah. a thousand cuts is the phrase that they use for things like this because yeah. it was cut down so much that you've killed your movie now there's something to say you know about a lot of the other slashes in this era they didn't get their name pushed out there but they kept their product pure so yeah down the line you appreciate it more yeah i mean we as we know there's so so many slashes of the 80s um but yeah a lot of them didn't do what this this film did and that was sort of shy away from what they were and yeah that is why we remember and still continue to talk about even films that we've mentioned within this episode, these yeah. films that we know that aren't very good, but we still continue to talk about them because we still enjoy watching them. And a lot of the time, let's face it, you know, as a horror fan, you enjoy yeah. the potential inventive ways that they're going to, you know, kill people. In this film, as you said, we hardly see anyone actually meet their demise. And, you know, being able to see that and, you know, the inventive ways that they could have done that, uh, it it lost what it could have been. And that always makes me really sad when I watch these films is is like, as you said, what, what could have been. Imagine if this was a Spielberg film, you know, and how well he handles those small town communities yeah. and the tension and dread like he did so well with Jaws or a, a John Carpenter movie that he does so well with Once Again, you know, he's so good with his character work with obviously when he was creating films with Deborah Hill and his cinematography with Dean Cundy, you know, imagine what we could have got because this film had the potential to create this unique film that was ten- had so much tension and created so much claustrophobia. Yeah, I mean, it, to the point yeah. there, the director's even talking about how his favorite scene in the whole movie was cut. Like, why would you yeah. allow that on your own film? Exactly. The original scene where you basically all you see, I don't know for people that can't remember or not, 
you just see a scene where there's already a big long corkscrew shape through two people on top of each other well, that was actually yeah. a long drawn out sex scene between two virgins finally having sex and the guy's on top of her and he penetrates the guy first and she doesn't notice because she's got her eyes closed yeah. and she and then you apparently the blood was supposed to drip into her mouth and that's when she would open her eyes and he would go all the way through that sounds like an amazing kill yeah. The director talks about how it was so well done and how it was really romantic and all this stuff. And then he cut it out of his own movie because they told him to. They told him to, It comes to, to yeah. the point where, I mean, which I get. I mean, at the end of the day, he wants the money. That's what it's all about. Well, this the pressure, is the but... thing, isn't it? You, 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 are, you are either creating a film for the love of the movie or you're creating yeah. the film to uh, create the money on you. And, and yeah. that's it. And that's what this film fell victim for um because unfortunately we were of a time when these films were common and they were coming out all the time and quite a few of them made money and that yeah. unfortunately happens a lot in horror as we know over the years it latches on to something that's going to you know make money as soon as we had Blair Witch Project come out for found footage uh you know in 99 and made 248 million on a bloody nothing budget and they're like right yeah. every film we make has to be found footage and then you get bored of it but then the next thing comes out and it becomes about saw and they're like oh shit well now we can make loads of films where it's like who is torture the killer porn. and it's all torture porn exactly and the different inventive ways that we can find creating a game and killing people and that's what horror does unfortunately a lot and way too much and it seems to do it every decade so we're sort of waiting for the next thing to do it um and i'm sure we might see that with terrified too with the success of that we might start seeing more of these what they commonly known as ultra slashers now yeah. um we might see more of that but it is always annoying when films like this that have like i've said so much potential fall through the cracks and are made purely on the aspect of let's see how much money we can make, not yeah. let's see how good of a film we can make, irrelevant of what happens. Let's give this guy, the director, everything that he wants and see if we can create not a film that is just iconic for now, but continues to be iconic, you know, remanded as, as, a, as a great. Because this film is one of those films where you can say to quite a lot of people, have you have you seen my bloody Valentine? And they'll probably go, oh yeah, what the one with Jensen Ackles? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. my missus would anyway. And it's, I mean, luckily with restorations that we get today, a lot of the footage has been recovered, so there is a better cut now than there was when it was first released. For example, you do get to see him cut his arm off at the end, which you didn't. That was lost at the beginning. Yeah, but still, just so much that was lost that when I, now watching the audio commentary, I had no clue that that's what happened. Because no. how would you? Because they just exactly. got rid of it. So, and like like um, you uh, like you said earlier on as well, that um, unfortunately, pretty much loads of it has been lost and, and you yeah. know, uh, it's gone. That's it. You know, there's so much that we will never literally see. There's no, uh, as much as there's been a call for a proper director's cut of this movie, a film that I would absolutely yeah. loved to see. Uh, as yeah, as you rightly said, it's not possible because the yeah. the footage is gone. It's gone. That's it. It's uh, it's probably in a fire somewhere, never to be seen again. But unless someone out there listens to this podcast and you've got it somewhere, 
uh, deep in the depths <laughs> in your attic and you'll pick it out one day and you're like this is you know lost death scenes in my bloody splicing together all the little tiny it, cuts <laughs> absolutely because it is a film that anyone that is a fan enough of this film would love to see because i think if you are a fan of this film you genuinely see the potential of what it could have been yeah which i am i'm a i am a fan of this movie but that's because yeah. i like a lot of bad movies from the early 80s um, oh yeah absolutely. i like a lot i like a lot of bad slashes which are terrible movies yeah but this could have been more and i think if it had it been out one just one year earlier I think it would have done a lot better. I think the movie itself would have been a lot better because there wouldn't have been that pressure from Absolutely. them to have everything cut. It's just, yeah. unfortunately, it came out 81 where they had all this pressure. And unless he was yeah. already a big name like Halloween with Halloween 2, he wasn't going to get away with this. There was not letting you in there. And you had a lot of time. I mean, if you watch a lot of these old review shows from the 80s, um, Robert, I can't remember his name. Egbert and all that. Yeah. They just all these movies was blasphemy to them. They wouldn't even yeah. suggest you know, they would do any sort of success because that was what the pressure was on on them at the time. They yeah. you couldn't you wasn't allowed to enjoy movies like this back then because of what was happening. You know, it was in the media that these type of movies were bad. So yeah, it's just bad timing. I think it just could have been so much more. But it is what it yeah. is. I mean, in the day, I hope everyone you know, I hope people do enjoy it. If like I say, if you like slashes and you have not seen it, go watch this movie. Yeah, we ruined the absolutely. killer for you, so we ruined that for you. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you haven't seen it, I won't tell anyone not to watch it. But if no. you are not someone that's into that that era of slasher movies, it's probably going to be a slow watch for it. It's, gonna, it's better than most in that era, but it's I can't promise you're going to love it. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those uh, you know start off with the better ones and work your way down because this is in the middle, you know, and yeah, and unfortunately. Like I've said a million times, it's the uh, the potential that it had is one of those things where, in all honesty, even though it's been rebooted, I would love to see a new My Bloody Valentine that Which was is... directed by someone proper. Yeah, uh, you know, somebody that understands not only filmmaking but also understands horror. You know, someone like Ty West, for example. Yeah, I mean, know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't hate the amusement park idea. No, it's no, probably... exactly. <laughs> but exactly. it just needs someone that the right, you know, uh, to keep it in the same continuity, you're probably not going to get much of the cast around nowadays, but no. you can keep it within the same universe, if you like, but start afresh. Maybe they're reopening this mine. Maybe it's built on top of the mine. Someone related to it. Maybe he's got kids or something like that. You could make this work, but it, I just don't think he's the guy to do it. And maybe he could prove me wrong, but... Um, it's sad to see it die the way it did because other than the remake, he didn't really hit. There was a couple of sequels that could have been made, apparently. Yeah. But I just don't think people was, you know, no one was actually wanting it at the time because they had other options. You know, you had Nightmare on Elm Street pushing out a new movie every year. You had Friday the 13th that brought out a million years, yeah. a yeah. million movies, sorry, every year. Why would there be a My Bloody Valentine 2? There was no way, you know, there was no reason for it. That's the and, issue and, it had. And on top of that, it almost proved them all wrong as well because these are the films that are showing all these inventive ways to kill people and, yeah. you know, all this blood and the uh, special effects and the prosthetics and everything that they could to to try and push the envelope and push the genre forward. And this one, unfortunately, was just felt like, you know, like we've said, the money grab 
that it shouldn't have been. Which is sad, because that's the one thing this movie did well, is the kills that are in it are fantastic. That one at the yeah. intro, where you see the pickaxe come through underneath her, yeah. and you see it wiggle around, through, and it doesn't quite break the skin. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it looks so real. It then shows a close-up of the wound. That's amazing. How can they keep that one in, but they have to cut out the others? It, there's no continuity yeah. there. But yeah. it is what it is. It's like, like I said earlier, it's one of the things that is a what if. What could it have been? What if, exactly. I'm happy and with what there was, but yeah, like I say, it's a hard sell to anyone else. And for once, I'm the being Rotten Tomatoes have probably got it right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like I say, it's one of them ones. If I'm rating it for the general public, that's what I would give it. Personal rating, it's probably coming close to an 8, 7.5. But there's a lot of bad movies I would give that just because I like him. I love Freddy's Dead, and that's the worst sequel ever. <laughs> <laughs> if I was rating that on my page, I'd have to give it a 3 at best. <laughs> out of 10 by the way not 5 out of 10 yeah. my personal rating is, is I'm not joking it's probably up there with a 9 it's so bad oh, but, blimey <laughs> yeah don't judge me but I think it's just going to grow up with it but then once again this is why we love horror because yeah. it doesn't matter what it is and who you are and and it, it's irrelevant because we are and I say this all the time on the podcast and on the videos on YouTube and everything this this genre is magical because it can be so divided, but so supported at the yeah. same time. You know, Freddy's Dead might not be a cup of tea for everyone. It's, it's but terrible. It is for you, <laughs> it's and that's all that awful. matters. And you, and and do you know what? I love you it. There and you fucking <laughs> love it. And I'll tell you I something. There is it. there is always going to be films that I love that people hate. That and I... there's going to be that person that sat on their screen. When you say you don't like a movie or you say you like a movie, they don't be that guy that just stands out and says, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't be that guy. Look, listen, horror community, we know that you are all the best. We are so supportive in whatever decisions we make about these films because you will be listening to this episode maybe as someone that has gone, right, they've done an episode about my favourite film ever, My Bloody Valentine. And then completely disagree with everything we say. And you know what? That's fucking great. And that is fine. And that's exactly how it should be. Simple as that. So that's what you're getting. That's that's all you're getting. My bloody Valentine. You know, we've got romantic again, a couple of hunks that we are on on, on this <laughs> Valentine's month. But now the important thing is I want you to to give yourself a little bit of time to promote you know, everything that you do. So go on, tell everyone, what what do you do? I do reviews, videos, a little bit, whatever I feel like, basically. I ain't got no yeah. schedule. I just do what I want. If you're interested in that, have a little peek. If you like what you see, give me a follow. Say hello. I'll give you a say hello back. I'm happy to follow you back. It's not a problem. I've got quite a lot coming up, which may be released, may not be released before this video comes out. I've got quite a few videos coming up quite a few blooper videos and just fun stuff that i think is funny and yeah i'm hoping to get this building up this year just uh give it you know just say hello to people and just enjoy it really become a part of the community because that's what it's about for me i just like being a part of this little crazy horror community that we've got going on so yeah if you want to check it out check it out if not then Fuck you, really. <laughs> I've been joking, but, <laughs> That's uh, basically it. Yeah. That is basically it. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it's, it's Horror Critic uh, on Instagram. And, yeah, go and check it out. You know, it's it's a, it's. I really like the post you do because it's an interesting way of approaching a, a review um, or your thoughts or the uh, questions that you're putting out there to people. You know, that's what it's all about is, is horror, is 
you know, as we've already said, ultimately have fucking fun with it. Have fun with what you're creating and everybody have fun with everything that they're looking at and watching and hearing and seeing and everything like that. So make sure that no matter what you do, that when you've listened to this episode, you pop onto Instagram and follow the horror critic for some more top notch horror related content from somebody else who is a big fan of the horror genre. Much There's a lot of us and um, we, we all need to support each other and uh, as we do so well. So um, look, thank you, Ben, for, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute splendid time having you on. You know, getting romantic. A couple of guys talking about, you know, a sexy all lo- film. All lovey-dovey movie. All <laughs> uh, such a lovey-dovey. This is, you know, if you the first film that you think of for Valentine's, if it isn't this one, then, you know, romance is dead. <laughs> simple, simple as that. But Ben, as I say, thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you go and follow everything he does on Instagram. And uh, I will speak to you soon. Take care. No problem. I enjoyed this. Take care for that, mate. Cheers for that. So as I've just said, please go and support Ben over the Horror Critic over on Instagram and follow and support, as I say, everything he does. It is more horror-related content for you amazing horror fans to feast on. And as you can tell, he knows horror. He's very informative. And it was a pleasure having him on the show. I love having guests like him who can tell me things that I may not know. And hopefully he's done that for you as well. Any fans of this movie for My Bloody Valentine, I really hope you've enjoyed the episode and learned a little bit and had a laugh. But please, so he can continue his journey, so he can evolve his show the way he wants to. Like everything that all of us horror-related content, you know, content people i don't know what we are but whoever we are go and support everything he does and we do so we can continue this journey and talking about journeys obviously i can't end an episode without doing a segment that you all know that i love your first time for those that you don't know what your your first time is and for those that you do i'm sorry i'm going to explain it again but you know what tough so your first time is when you amazing followers or listeners or subscribers or just you amazing horror community send me over a direct message on any of our platforms that we're on i mean you know we're on all of them and you send me over your first ever horror movie memory that you can remember whether it is a film that gives you nothing but love and passion when you think back on it and you it started you on this journey and you've never looked back or it gives you nothing but nightmares and trauma and it's just a fucking bad time. Either way, I still want to know about it because we just don't forget it. Horror is embedded in our brains, whether, as I say, it's good or bad. And that's what this segment is for, because I love reading them and I know you love listening to them. So let's get into it. So the first one that I've got is from the XHR podcast. They sent me their memory over on Instagram and they put now before I do, this is a long one. I'm probably going to do a couple on this episode. Both of them are incredible and i just want to say that up front so i'm going to go into the first one as i say from xhr podcast so my first time i had always been intrigued by the poster art walking through movie stores but never rented horror 
One night I was watching Predator at the neighbor's house. Great film. While debatable that it's technically a horror, it is, and not an action thriller. It's a horror. We, we say it is. Why? Because I've done an episode about it. Sorry. Seeing the dead bodies strung up and skinned absolutely killed me as a 7th or 8th grader. Oddly, from then on, however, I was hooked. I started reading Fangoria mags at another friend's house and we watched Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th movies. It was all pretty basic. Then he pulls out a Fangoria with pics of Beyond the Darkness directed by Joe D'Amato. And that's where my journey down the extreme horror happened. Fast forward to 1997 or 1998. I'm dating my now wife and see the movie to rent grab it and take it back to her house. I'd never seen anything so graphic and shocking. Real guts, dismemberment and pulsing blood from neck wounds. Sounds lovely. Fast forward again to 2019 and screw it. Let's do a podcast. No clue how. Cheap equipment, horrible sounds. But Extreme Horror Replay Podcast was born, which is obviously XHR. That's what it stands for. 50 some of episode, episodes later, we finally sound good, have a ton of laughs and enjoy watching a variety of different horror movies. We're just a married couple that love to watch movies and talk about them. What an incredible memory. What an incredible journey they've been on with horror. But as I say, they are a married couple that are doing a horror podcast and the, the podcast is obviously available everywhere. So make sure you get over to your Apple podcast, your Spotify podcast, all of them. Get over there and just subscribe. Give it a listen. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that they sent over such an incredible story to me. And do you know what? What I love about reading these on a personal level is how much they hit home for me and how how it's weird how we all have this sort of connection to the same sort of things through the generations when when you're talking about fangoria magazines that was a lot of my introduction to the hardcore and more in-depth side of horror and the filmmaking side of it which is why i am who i am today acting and filmmaking is what i've always wanted to do with my life and fangoria magazines were a huge part of that so much so i had to steal them i mean i may or may not have have to steal them i won't say i will i haven't but i did um from my local news agent because they got them imported and i was too young to buy them i'm talking i was probably getting them when i was about seven or eight years old so i love reading things like that that make me think back on my past on this journey through horror so a massive thank you to xhr podcast make sure you go and check them out and i'll move on to the next one so the next one that i've got for you is the first time somebody sent me over one of these amazing memories over on our tiktok so make sure that you go over there and follow us and also follow Banff podcast so if you're wondering what that stands for it's badass movie fridays but they are at their bamf dot podcast on tiktok and go and make sure you follow them for horror related content as well as that they are working on the podcast themselves where it's just going to be some friends sitting there watching some films and talking about them uh, to me that sounds like bliss and fun doesn't it so make sure you go over there and follow them but they sent to me an incredible first time story so the first time i saw a horror movie was in 1990 i was eight or nine years old USA on Cable used to air horror movies in the middle of the day. 
On there, I saw a nightmare on Elm Street. They did not take out too much either. The scene where Tina is being dragged in the body bag scared me to the core. No joke, my grandma came in and said, turn this off now. I had no idea what it was or what the name was. The thing is, was that I got the taste and wanted more, but didn't know what I saw or where to find more. A couple of years later, I was able to start to rent my own movies. I went to the horror section and I rented three movies, Evil Dead, Reanimator and Toxic Avenger. Now, we know Toxie is not a horror movie, but I still think it needs to be put in there. To be honest, I still class it as a horror film. It's part of the horror universe. It is. Simple as that. So I agree with you with it. The first proper horror movie I sat down and watched was The Evil Dead. From the opening shot to the closing scene, it kept me hooked. I loved it. I was obsessed. I wanted more horror. I became friends with a kid in school who introduced me to the slasher classics. I was floored when he put a nightmare on Elm Street on and I saw that scene I saw when I was eight. I was like, this is it. This is the movie I saw. We rented everything we could from the video store. And a couple years after all this, I, I ended up working in that video store. And these movies were my recommendations to anyone who could not find something themselves. The one thing I never understood was how, how people came back and say they hated the movie. Thank you for a great show. Keep making them and I'll keep listening, Jay. So a massive thank you to Jay. It's a one. It's incredible that he listened to the show. I'm so grateful to him. But once again, what what an incredible story. What an inc incredible memory that he's been, you know, so, so amazing to send over to me. Uh, I couldn't be couldn't be happier with these. And the thing that I was talking about earlier, and the reason that I wanted to add both of these two um, memories was once again, like like the previous story, there's a connection with me because. Evil Dead and Toxic Avenger were films that I watched very early on. Evil Dead is still to this day one of the most influential horrors for me. It's such an incredible film because it's not just the film, it's everything that went into it. It's a whole story. Anybody that knows Evil Dead knows what it is. So I love the fact that we, you know, as horror fans have that connection. But also when he's talking about working at a video rental shop, that's something I did as well. I was lucky enough that I spent a long time working at a cinema, which was just the best job in the world. And as well as that, I did work at our local blockbuster for a bit as well. And recommending these movies was amazing. Luckily, though, for me, I had a different experience because I would recommend films. And there was a guy that asked me for recommendations once and I told him one. And from that point on, every week he came in and asked me for a film to watch. And he would take that home with me. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. And sometimes he'd come, back, come in and be like, that was amazing. Sometimes he'd say it was shit. But once again, it's this community, it's this interaction that we all have and love with not only the horror genre, but horror fans. I love this. You know I do. So a massive, massive thank you to to both of the both of the amazing horror accounts that sent me over their their stories, their their memories. I they're amazing. I'm sure you can agree. And as usual, when you're listening to this, please, please, if you if you want to a shout out on the show, send it over to me. Send me over your first time, your first horror horror movie memory on any of our platforms as a DM. And I'll put you 
in an episode. So that's all you're getting. We're done. Thank you all again for for listening. I really hope you've listened to the end. If you are someone that listens to the end of these shows, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I try and fit as much as I can into these episodes. As you know, you've got an in-depth discussion with Ben, the horror critic, on my bloody Valentine, the original from 1981. If you love this film, if you don't like this film, let me know. Get on my social media things with Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Just let me know. Let's have a conversation about it. But please make sure that you go and follow Ben, the horror critic. And a massive, massive thank you, as I've already said, to the accounts that sent me over anything they did for the Your First Time segment. As I said, if you get this far into the episode, I am so grateful. But now it's all down to you where this episode and where this show and where this channel goes and how it evolves. I say this at the end of every episode because it is integral to the, you know, the success or, as I said, how this show evolves. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, please, please share it on. Just get onto your social medias and share it as a story or, or share it as a post and just say, look, I listen to this horror related podcast. I really enjoy it. I think you will too and post it away. It is genuinely all about word of mouth to grow everything. I want to keep doing this for as long as I can. And I can sit here and press record and do that. But I, I really need your support to keep going. So please do it. Make sure you also go and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. And please go and check out the YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe. Once again, everything I do is free, even on the YouTube channel. And I'm bringing out more and more content. And like I said in the previous episode, that is one of my goals that for 2023, I want to evolve the channel, not just through the podcast, but through the YouTube channel as well. So I have recently been up uploading more videos to them, and I hope you really enjoy it. So please follow me and continue to follow me on this journey through horror. I love this. I'm honest about it. I'm passionate about it. As you can tell, you horror fans, you this horror community I love so much. You are all incredible. So thank you for listening. And as usual, stay creepy. Mm-hmm.